0: We are in a message series called Come, Let Us Adore Him. Everybody say, Come, Let Us Adore Him. him. Week three, here's the title of the message I Know the Trip Will Be Worth It. Matthew chapter two. I Know the Trip Will Be Worth It. See, we're in a series on worship, and the reason for the title of the message, I Know the Trip Will Be Worth It, is because we actually get the modern word worship from an older English word from our ancestors in England called worship. Worship has always historically meant that whatever you think is worth it, you worship. And so if something is worth your attention, something is worth your praise, something is worth your attention or money or time, we say whatever that is is your object of worship. And here's the thing, the word come means to come, means to move, means to get in here. And I want to just say, I'm so glad that you did the very first word of the series title today. If you're here, you came. And we're so glad that you came. We're so glad that you're here and not there. Because it'd be lonely without you. But most importantly, I hope and I pray, and this is why we do a lot of work every weekend with our serve team, and the staff, and the elders, and the deacons, and all the people that make Waters Church, what it is. We do it so that when you walk out of this door, out of these doors, out of this place, when you leave here to go there, you will tell yourself, I'm glad I came here because it was worth it to worship Jesus. Are you with me on that? And so I think it's very important, and I'm glad that people watch online, but there's nothing like being here. I hope that at the end of every service, you walk out the door and say, I needed that, and God is good. Right? That's what I hope. That's our prayer. We don't want you walking out of here feeling worse. We want you feeling better. Well, we'll challenge you. We'll confront you. We'll say things that might irk you, but hopefully it heals you. Because the Lord loves you and he wants to bless you. Come, let us adore him. And when you come, our prayer is the trip will be worth it. We want to look at the very first trip in the Bible to see Jesus. The very first journey men took to come and see Jesus. Jesus. You could call this the very first church to the Christian, the very first trip to the Christian worship. It's the trip the magi took, the wise men. We get the word magi from the Greek term for them, which is magos, which is an astrologer, an astronomer, some hybrid of scientist and uh, rationalist and naturalist and stargazer. And they were men who traveled many hundreds of miles to come to see Jesus, and they left telling the world the trip was worth it. Here's how it starts in Matthew chapter 2. We'll put it up on the screen, then we'll read the rest in just a moment. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose And have come to what? Say the last two words to worship worship him. And so these are the first churchgoers in Christian history. And they traveled to see Jesus. Now let's stand together and read the rest of this passage to see what happens next, because there's some important things here. Look what it says Verse three: When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And not just Herod, but all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the, and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. Well, how did they know that? Because they say here, it is written by the prophet. What prophet? The Old Testament prophet Micah. And, and Micah chapter 5, verse 2, they quote it here, verse, word for word almost. In verse 6 it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means... Least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you find him, bring me word that I too may worship him." After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the last verse, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I just want you to note, and we'll circle back around to this at the end of the message, they left a different way than they came when they met Jesus. Amen. It is our sincere prayer that happens for you. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I ask that in these next few moments, you will reign over our hearts In our minds and our ears. And I pray you will say what you want to say to your people. I know they are precious to you, Lord. And I ask that my words will be what you want them to be and nothing that you don't want them to be. I pray that we will see Jesus, him and him alone. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have you ever taken a trip that wasn't worth it? Have you ever gone on vacation, got home and said, I need a vacation from that vacation? (laughs) Have you ever made this plan where you were going to have this for the kids and do that for the family and everybody's going to have a good time? And by the time you got there, the trip getting there alone was enough to make you hate each other? And you were screaming at each other and yelling at each other and telling everybody, shut up, we're on vacation, we're supposed to be having a good time. And then you wonder why you took the trip in the first place. How many have ever taken a trip that wasn't worth it? Come on, somebody. I have had this experience. Have you ever bought a vacation from Groupon? There's a reason why they're on Groupon. Because no one in their right mind is paying full price for that place. Be warned. I got a friend in this church that we text back and forth. We've been texting a lot lately. I want to tell you why we're texting a lot because I want to just make a small point before we get to the message. And here's the thing we've been texting a lot lately because he and I, though we both come to this church and we both love Jesus and we're both Christian and we both believe Jesus is Lord, we are from complete opposites of the political spectrum of this country. So this week, We've really been texting up a storm to each other. Now there's two things about this conversation that I want to tell you. First, I am completely right and he is completely wrong. But secondly, even though we are complete opposites on the political spectrum, both of us have not blocked each other. We love each other. And we can just talk about these things with levity in our hearts, even though they are somewhat serious, but there's a levity in our hearts. You know why? Because both of us know that there's a savior on the throne of the universe who's over who's in the White House or in the House or the Senate of this country. But I digress. In our tweet storm, we, in our text storm, we took a timeout, and he sent me this text the other day. He said, let's put it up on the screen. On another note, the family and I are finally making the trip to Orlando. I know everyone has opinions about Disney, but do you have any recommendations? He comes to his pastor for this. And I know the will of the Lord, so I sent him back three simple words. I said, yes, avoid Disney. He didn't listen to me. He's there now, and he sent me this text yesterday. He said this, any other Disney advice? I am taking the small ones to Animal Kingdom tomorrow. Now, he has five children. The small ones refer to the three littler ones, and he wants to take them, the littler ones, to Animal Kingdom. So in my biblical wisdom and pastoral care for his heart, I sent him back this text, get out now. And everybody who's ever taken a child to Disney World said, Amen. Amen. (laughs) Oh, it looks like a good idea, doesn't it? Let's travel by plane or by car. God help the car people. 24 hours for you down into the heat of central Florida to stand in line for two hours, pay exorbitant prices to get into the place where we stand in line for two hours, and to wrestle through crowds of other people who already are upset at how much they paid to get there, all the while listening to our kids cry and complain and whine that they are bored. (laughs) Do you understand why the ancient world used to practice child sacrifice at that moment? I'll tell you the only way to go to Disney World is to get a babysitter for your kids and leave them in the hotel and you and the wife go and walk through the park and laugh at all the other parents. (laughs) I did that last year. Time of my life. When you go that far, you want to make sure that the trip will be worth it. Well, there's one thing to go to Disney. It's another thing to travel from the Far East all the way to Judea. We're talking about an 800-mile journey in the ancient world. By the way, there's still a road that stretches from China all the way into Israel. It might have been the very road these wise men took. 800 miles, four months. If you're traveling, if you're traveling on average about 10 miles a day with camels on camels. Not cars, camels. And you think about it, no iPhones, no GPS, no distracting technological device for the kids. No, you're on a camel. How many know when they got to Judea, they were walking a little differently (laughs) after 800 miles on the back of a camel? Their trip was long. Their trip was hard. Their trip was worth it. Do you know how I know that the trip was worth it? Because Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 says this, that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw Jesus with his mother, and they fell down, and they worshiped. Worthship. And then they opened their treasures and they offered gifts and frankincense and gold. and mer- We know the story. We've heard this. But I thought about this. Like they got there and then they opened their gifts and they gave more after they had gotten there. You know the trip is worth it when you're paying extra at the end of the trip. Cause you imagine walking out the gate of Disney and saying, you know what? It was so great. I want you to give. I want you to have an extra thousand dollars. <laughs> Never happened, right? But they did that for Jesus. And they're the first people in human history to tell us that if you make your way to the Son of the living God, you won't be disappointed. That's what they are telling us here today 2,000 years later. And I want to give you three reasons why it's worth it to worship Jesus. Why it's worth it to get up, shower, change, get dressed, come into a place like this to be a part of a church that you love and you grow in Christ with other people. I want to give you three reasons why you want to be here as often as you can because the trip is going to be worth it. Three reasons and then we're done. Number one, because God wants you. I want you to write that down. I need you to write that down because maybe you feel like that today, but I guarantee you a day is coming when you won't feel like that. It's probably going to be the day after you really blow it. Or you meet some person who claims to be a Christian and they treat you terribly. Or it's going to be those moments when you feel like life is terrible and not worth living. And you wonder why God put you on this planet in the first place. But ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a world in which that is happening on a regular basis because suicide has become a national epidemic. People are hurting. People are lonely. People are depressed. People are saddened. And they are overwhelmed with life. And what they need to hear, the last thing, first of all, that they need to hear is that God is angry with them. What they need to hear is that God loves them. And he sent Jesus. This is why we're here today. This is why Christmas comes up every year, so that we can remember that God sent his son for you. His payment on the cross, he said, it is finished. The word in Greek is to telestai. It means paid in full. Paid in full? The cross is payment for what? For you. I don't know about you, but I don't pay things. I don't like to pay for things that I don't want. Christ is God's payment for you because he wanted you. He wants to know you. Now, I, I, I got a sermon series planned for the first of the year. I'm so excited about it. It's called the f- Top Five Lies of the Devil. I want to make sure you come. The first one we're going to talk about is around this subject, because so many people are convinced that God is angry, God is mad, God is out to get them, and you need to hear that nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible's most famous verse is John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that you, if you believe in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. Christmas is God's eternal stamp in human history that you matter to God. He wants you. He wants you. The scripture says in Matthew 2:2 2, 2, they say the wise men they come to Jerusalem they say where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we what we saw his what star. star. I thought about this. These are Persians or Babylonians we're not sure but what we do know for sure for certain is they weren't Jews. And I only tell you that because the Jews knew the scriptures. The Jews had the Bible. They still call it the Bible to this day. They knew what God was going to say, what God was up to, they knew what God wanted, they knew what God's law was, they knew how God wanted them to live. But these Persians or Babylonian wise men, they didn't know. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the scriptures. They may have been familiar with Daniel They may have been familiar with Balaam in Numbers chapter 24. They may have been familiar with these ancient people who had interactions with their heritage or their ancestors in the past, but they didn't know what the God of the universe wanted or what the God of the universe said, and they wanted to know the God of the universe. And so what does the God of the universe do for these ancient men from a faraway country? He gives them a sign in the heavens, a star. And there's a little bit of a historical fact around 2 or 3 B.C. that you can study up on, I studied it up this week, that there's a great chance that Jupiter and Venus and a star called Regulus were aligned at just at the right point in April of, B, a, B, of B.C. 2 or 3, and that it became the brightest star the, the world has ever seen, and that was the sign that they saw, and they followed that star as it led them into Judea, into Israel. And I just thought about it. This, this, really, this really geeked me out, Okay. God loved these guys so much. He was willing to move heaven and earth to get their attention to come meet his son. Amen. What has God done for you? What has God done in your life to get your attention? Maybe it was something bad. Maybe it was something sad. Maybe it was something tragic, and you wouldn't be here except for that thing happened, and you got here. and But the best thing was that that tragedy happened so that you got here, and you met the good news in Jesus Christ. Like, that is our hope for you. Not that you go through tragedy, but that God gets your attention and that you meet him because when you meet him, it'll be worth it. God wanted these wise men. God wanted. I think I've thought about this. God put the sign in the heavens and the stars because God was saying to these wise men from Persia or Babylonia, I want you. I love you. Come and meet my son. And we have to also understand that these were magi, which is kind of interesting because they were some kind of hybrid of astrologer, astronomer, scientist, historicist, realist, whatever you would call it. These were notable guys, kingmakers. These, these were guys who were advisors to kings, important guys, but, but, but they studied the stars, right? Now, the thing you have to understand is that everywhere else in the Bible where it talks about astrology or astronomy or studying the stars or doing that kind of thing... It's actually off-limits for God's people. This is something that you should not do, They say. It's the Scripture says. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19 is actually in the law. It says, when, God says when to his people, when you look up into the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the forces of heaven, what? Do not be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to the peoples of the earth. In other words, people who don't know my will will worship the stars. But you know my will, and I don't want you worshiping. And everywhere else you see magi or wise men or magicians mentioned in the Bible, everywhere else you see them mentioned, they are always mentioned in a tremendously negative light. Except for Matthew chapter 2. It's the only place in the Bible where there's something positive said about the magi. Why? Because here's the difference. Instead of looking to the stars for hope and power... For themselves to rule over people. They read the stars to find the hope and power in the person of Jesus. You see, the scripture says in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, the heavens. The planets, Jupiter, Mars, the heavens declare the glory of God. They're there not for you to fall in love with them, but for you to understand that there's a God who made them, and this great, awesome God loves you. You see, there's two ways that we approach things. There's two ways. One's good, one's bad. The wrong way to approach things in your life, i.e., your spouse, your kids, your stuff, your cars, your home, your income, your 401k, is to look to those things as your life, your value, your, your, your substance, your worth, and then to cling to them because losing them means the world to you. And there's a practical reason why you don't want to approach the things in your life with that kind of view there's a practical reason here's why nothing actually lives forever if you think that once you get married you're going to be happy forever think again (laughs) even if you're happy while they're there eventually one of you dies if you think your kids are going to be the joy of your life forever think again at some point, they're going to grow up, and they're going to start disagreeing with you. Happens quickly. And then they might leave you, and they may not talk to you. Or eventually, one of you has got to let the other one go. And if you put all your hope and all your stock into your things, things get rusty, old, and broken. And if you put all your stock and all your value into your, worth, into your net worth, eventually the net worth dwindles down to Nothing. What I'm trying to tell you is everything else in this world fades away. There's nothing that you try to hold on to in terms of things or people that actually live forever in this world. But Jesus came and said, heaven and earth may pass away, but here's the thing, my words will never pass away. Jesus is the only one who will be there with you in life and death and into the next life. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He never lets you down. So the first way is to hold on to things and to worship them and to think that they make you who you are. The second way to look at things is to say, thank you, God, for the things that you've given me for now. That's healthy. I don't know if you saw this FedEx commercial that's in the airwaves right now. I actually love this commercial because I'm a parent. It's this commercial where this little girl is in a spaceship, a cardboard spaceship, and she's flying through her house. Has anyone seen this commercial? And then the scene cuts, and there she is sitting in the box with the wrapping paper and the toys off to the side, and she's sitting in the box that the toys came in, and she's pretending she's in a spaceship made of cardboard flying through the house. And the parents are standing behind her, shaking their heads and saying, we should have just bought her the box. (laughs) Any parents ever have that experience? You see, that's what we do with things. Sometimes what we do in this world is we fall in love with the delivery system instead of realizing the person who gave us the system in the first place. The stars are there to tell you God is glorious and you matter to him. As a 4th century church father Augustine said, thou hast made us for thyself and Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. You're not made for things. You're made for him. God wants you. Number two, God doesn't want you to be religious. This is good news. This is what we learn from the wise men because they are not Jewish scholars and they are not religious people. And the scripture says, and I don't know if you noticed this, But they actually took a wrong turn at the end of their journey. I I never saw this before until this week. But they traveled 800 miles to find Jesus. And verse 1 of chapter 2 in Matthew says they end up in Jerusalem. And there's a problem there. Because guess who's not in Jerusalem? Jesus. Jesus. Right? We know this. We should know this, because the song goes like this. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Yeah, not Jerusalem. <laughs> Otherwise it would have been, oh, big religious city called Jerusalem. No, Jesus was actually five miles to the east in a little town called Bethlehem. Well, why did they end up in Jerusalem? Here's why. Because at some point in their long journey, they made a miscalculation that a lot of people make even still today. They thought, we're headed to Judea. Surely the place to find God is in the religious center of that nation. Jerusalem, where the temple was, where the priests were, where the leaders were, where the religious scholars were, surely they would know... And surely they would have Jesus there. And he wasn't there. Now I don't have to tell you New Englanders, do I? That we can experience the exact same thing today in our country and in our world. That we make an assumption that just because something looks religious, it actually does not have God involved in it at all. We we can have the pretense of religiousness. We can have the pretense of good natured religion. We can have the pretense of going through the motions of ritual and not have Jesus. I don't want to sound unkind, but I think it needs to be said that this is why America right now has an empty church problem. This is why. Because in church after church in of this country, you have a man preaching from the pulpit of that church who has never personally met Jesus. And you can't introduce anyone to someone you've never met. You can be religious and miss Jesus. Herod, verse 3, was troubled. The king, the, the Roman-installed, vicious, hedonistic king, Herod, who killed two wives and three sons because he was paranoid. He's troubled at this news. In all Jerusalem, the religious were troubled. And verse 4, after assembling, who does he assemble? He calls the chief priests, the really religious people, the leaders and the scribes, the people who actually copied down the scriptures. These people knew the scriptures in and out. And he said, hey, guys, what do you know about the Christ? Where is he to be born? And without hesitation, and without hesitation, verse 5, they're like, oh, yeah, we know that one, Bethlehem. Like they would have been killer at Bible categories in jeopardy. What is Bethlehem? <laughs> because we know the Scriptures. Matthew 5, Micah 5 two. Bethlehem, land of Judah. Not least among the rulers. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. They don't, even, they don't even have to look it up. They know. They know. And yet what happens? What happens from verse 6 onward? What happens? The only people who travel the last five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see Jesus are the wise men. I find it highly ironic that Herod doesn't go and the religious leaders don't go and the guys who knew the Bible inside and out, they don't go. Who goes? The outsiders, the foreigners, the least religiously affiliated in the story. They're the ones that end up in and the religious leaders and the scribes end up out. And if there's one theme, if there's one consistent theme in the life and the ministry of Jesus, it is this. It is that many times in the ministry of Jesus, the people who thought they were in ended up out, and the people who thought they were out ended up in. The religious people were offended by him. The religious observant Jews did not like him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the seriously religious people, partnered together to kill him. All the while, the tax collectors and the sinners loved him. You ever think about this that the figure that headed up the whole movement of Christianity was beloved by the people least looking Christian in the world? This is the story of the Gospels. Here's what I want you to write down. It's entirely possible to be religious and avoid Jesus. It's entirely possible to be religious and avoid Jesus. A lot of times we don't get this about the Bible, the New Testament particularly, but it is so true, and Jesus made it very clear in many places. You don't get to heaven. You don't get to know him through religious practices. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus said it on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, religious speech. Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty mighty works in your name, religious activity, religious activity, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Oh, what did you do all that work for? What did you do all those ceremonies for? Was it for me or was it for you? Again, I don't have to tell you, you're New Englanders, you know the religious structures that take advantage of people, that abuse children, that use religious activity as a cover-up to be vile and wicked. We don't have to talk about this much, but we know it's true. Religious form, you think that God is interested in that? I got good news for all the CEOs in the house today. CEOs, what are you talking about, pastor? I'm talking about the, Chris- the Christmas and Easter only people. I'm so glad that Christmas shows up every year because otherwise I would never see you. But do you think that God is like up in heaven like having a good time because you showed up biannually at church? Do you think that that's what he really is interested in? Do you think that's what he wants from you? No! He wants a relationship with you. He wants to do life with you. He wants to help you. You know that anxiety in your heart right now? He wants to solve it. You know that depression, that sadness? He wants to turn it into joy and gladness. You know that loss that you suffered with? He wants you to help. He wants to help you through it. You know that job that you're struggling with? He wants you to give you the strength to overcome in the midst of it. You know that relationship tension that you have right now? He wants to be the balm of peace in the midst of it so that you can do life not in the galaxy alone and left to your own devices, but in the strength and in the mercy and in the grace that Almighty God who made you has given you in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. It's not religious practice, it's relationship. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Who's the you here? The religious people. Now, this is why they ended up wanting them dead. Because you don't tell religious good-looking churchgoers that prostitutes are actually getting to heaven faster than you. Do you know what the word prostitute in the Greek means? prostitute. (laughs) It's exactly what you think it means. People who sold their bodies for money. And Jesus says, those people who have seen me and loved me because they know that I'm the grace of God that they need in their lives, those people are getting in before you people. Why? Because you don't get into heaven based on your religious performance. You don't get into heaven based on your good works. I have to say this every Christmas just to remind you that America's number one religion is not Christianity. America's number one religion is I'm a good person. I'm a good personism. No one gets to heaven because they're a good person. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, it is a gift of God. It is by grace you are saved. It is not of works. You cannot boast about it. No one's going to be up in heaven saying, I did this. No one's going to be doing it. Everybody's going to be saying, God did this. Jesus did this. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. (laughs) That's how prostitutes, that's how tax collectors get into heaven before religious people. Because it's God's grace. And not your goodness. John chapter 1 talks about it. it. said, he came into his own, but his own. They did not receive him. But to all who believed, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen to me this Christmas. It's not about you adopting religious practices. It's about you receiving Jesus Christ. It's worth it. Number three, God wants to fill you with his joy, his word, and change the course of your life. This is why it's worth it to worship Jesus. He wants to fill you with his joy. Somebody say joy. joy. And his word. And he wants to change the course of your life. So the magi leave Jerusalem. They make the five-mile trek to Bethlehem. The star appears, verse 10, when they, st- when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Four words to describe extreme happiness. You know how you know you've met Jesus? Because you're happy about it. It's not religious dead ritual. It's joy inside of you. You're happy that you know him and that he loves you and that he's with you. Sometimes i look at Christians. They're so grumpy. <laughs> they're so miserable. Have you heard that the grave is empty? Have you heard of a place called heaven? Have you heard? I know, maybe your life stinks right now. I know. Sometimes life is terrible. Sometimes life is tough. But have you heard of a place called heaven? Where there's streets made out of gold. Where there's a crystal sea. Where there's no more shame. There's no more fear. There's no more pain. There's no more loss. There's no more sickness. There's no more death. There's no more despair. There's no more anxiety. There's no more depression. There's no more sadness. There's no more division. There's no more divorce. There's no more homelessness or loneliness. There's just joy everlasting in the presence of Almighty God. That is what awaits every child of the Most High God. That is what awaits everybody who receives Jesus. That's why he came, to offer that to you. Turn that frown upside down, friend. Oh, maybe your life stinks. Okay, well, if you're a Christian, good news. Someday you die. And it's not going to stink anymore. In Psalm 16, verse 11, David writes, you make known to me the paths of life in your presence. If you got your notes out, underline in your presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Happy about it. They're happy to be with Jesus. And in verse 11, and going into the house, by the way, not the manger, not the stable, the house. They saw the child, not the baby, the child. He's probably about two years old at this time. With Mary and his mother, Mary, his mother, And they what? They fell down. down. The word in the Greek, there's synonyms for it. That means to lose authority. These regal kingmakers of the East fall down at the feet of a two-year-old child. And then they open their gifts and their treasures and they say, here, you're worth it. You're worth it. The trip was worth it. And then look what happens in verse 12. This is wonderful. Being warned in a dream about Herod, they go back a different way than they came. Notice what happens. The moment that they meet Jesus in person, God starts speaking to them personally. You want a living relationship with God? It doesn't happen because you think a certain way. It's because you have connection with Him through Jesus Christ, the Son. He's the only way to God. And the good news is he's the only way for everyone. When you meet Jesus, you never leave the way you came. When you meet Jesus, you never leave the way you came. And that's why we do what we do here at Water Church, and that's why we're trying to plant, no, why we're going to plant more churches and why we have services and why we want you to come more than just today. Because I believe every time we gather in this room, there's an opportunity for your life to change, for your life to be touched by the power of the God who made it. Stay with me for one more moment. i got to be honest with you. i got to make a confession. I don't even like to confess this, but I do it for a point, so just hear me out. This was a hard week for me in my studies and preparation. And I don't even like to tell you people that because I like to think I impress you a little bit. But this week, I was, like, studying and studying, and nothing was coming to me. Nothing. And I actually got mad at God. And I said, hey, I've been studying all week, and I have nothing to say to your people. We got a good relationship, him and I. It got so bad, I took my wife out to dinner on Friday. I was sitting across from her, and I said, honey, I don't know what to say today, this weekend. Do you have any ideas? So the conversation continued. At the end of our meal, a man that I had never seen before approached our table, stuck out his hand and said, Pastor Tim. And I thought to myself immediately, God, I'm glad I didn't order that margarita. (laughs) My name is Ron. And I want to let you know that I saw your church on TV several months ago. And then you kept telling us to come, so I came. I made the trip to church. And I just want to let you know that Jesus has saved my life. And then he took out his other hand, and he put it on a table. And he left gift cards on the table and he said, I want to just pay for your dinner. You know what he did? He did what the wise men did 2,000 years ago. He met Jesus and he opened his heart and his treasures and laid it on the table and said, it's worth it.